When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 123 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest comes to us from our friends over at C.S. Lewis and Company Publicists, and her name is Pamela Hackett. Pamela has advised, led, and supported people through major change within some of the world's most prominent companies and brands, and she's done so over a 35-year career in management consulting. She is the global CEO of the international consultancy firm Proudfoot, a pioneer of boots-on-the-ground consulting that's been in the game for eight decades. Hackett is on a quest to help all companies build businesses that are both fit and healthy, productive and engaged. Her new book, Manage to Engage, How Great Managers Create Remarkable Results, something we're going to talk about quite a bit uh, in this podcast is a compendium of ideas and resources that will help leaders and managers focus on what matters, their people, to achieve their numbers and create true advantage. Now, we have a lot of discussion here around some of the topics that that I've been discussing a lot lately, which I think are hot topics, is we look to get back into our workplaces. Those are culture, engagement, caring for our people, what do workplaces look like, all of those sorts of things. But uh, Pamela's got a really great perspective on it, and I think when you add all of my guests together, they help you get a much more clear picture of what the future of work looks like and what the workforce is looking for from those they choose to work for and be led by. And folks, make no mistakes about it. The trends are there. People more than ever right now realize that they have a choice of who they work for, and they're exercising that choice. So I'm going to go ahead and get out of the way, but I just want to leave you with this last thing. The information all of my guests throughout this podcast have given you are going to set you apart and make you a more attractive employer for a more discerning modern workforce. So with that, let me go ahead and get out of your way, let that stinger play, and let you get into this amazing interview with Pamela Hackett. Pamela, thanks for joining us today. Oh, and thank you. I really, really appreciate the time. Oh, no, I'm I'm excited to have this conversation because uh, I've watched a bunch of your YouTube videos. Uh, I like the book, and I think we're going to have a great conversation here. And I want to get it started where I start off all my guests. When you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? Oh, I loved when, when uh, you know, when you say that, I just love how it resonates with engagement because um, I think a lot of new managers often see it as a burden of command, but in a way that makes them scared. Um, and I think that, that that's something that they, they need to really learn to deal with. And so here's why I think that. And that's because most of the workforce today at the end of the day is is not engaged. They're not that, you know, they're, they're getting out of bed and they're not really getting out with a with a jump and a jive. They're getting out with a bit of a thud. And that's because we have not learned how to actually engage people when we're in a management role. And so the way that we're managing is not managing to engage. So when I when I hear that phrase, the burden of command, I just think, boy, we've got such an obligation to really understand how to engage people um, because it is such we become as a leader we become leaders at every level become the people who have a direct impact on whether somebody wants to go to work each day or not and I think that's a huge burden that we all have to deal with but in a positive way we've got to change the stats so that's kind of what what comes to mind you know there's such a disconnect um, out there between um, understanding what what managing and leading really is versus the ability to really engage people and they're one in the same no i love that take on it because it's it's true you know we talk about this whole statistic all the time about employees 
engagement being uh, at below. Well, let me rephrase it. Employee disengagement being around 70%. And it's very difficult to get leaders to understand that that means that 70% of the people out there don't want to work for you. Yeah, right. it, it's got to be heart-wrenching, right? You you really look at those stats and you think, okay, I'm in a meeting or now I'm on Teams and I've got all my guys there and seven out of 10 of them, their minds are probably somewhere else because the last thing they want to be doing is having a chat with you. And so that to me is the call to action. You know, that's the, the call to arms. And I think that's where people, particularly the newer generation of, of leaders, um, you know, team leaders and frontline supervisors, because a lot of times they get into those roles and they've never been trained. Nobody's ever taken the time to say, well, actually, if you want to get great results and you want to have a really productive organization and you want to have a, a company that makes money, you need to learn how to manage to engage. And that's really the whole gist of, of, of the book. It's to say, boy, um, you, you know, I, I, I wrote this during at the beginning of the pandemic because the stats are so bad and then a, a worldwide crisis happens and then we have to have to come out of it. And everyone talks about building back better. And all I thought about was, boy, it's going to be hard to build back better when half of your workforce or more doesn't really want to be there. And so isn't that a call to action? Isn't that the, you know, that every leader at every level in a business needs to actually figure out how to crack the nut on engagement? Otherwise, it's going to be, and, and it is, it's tough and hard work as it is in a really competitive world, but it makes it even harder when your guys are not with you and they're not all in. So I think that's the, you know, that's the call to arms, if you like. Yeah, no, again, I agree completely. And, you know, let's talk about your YouTube videos. And you've got one out there that is uh, very particularly engaging. And it was uh, it was for Women's Day, if I remember right, where you were talking to women about how to unleash the the young girl that's still inside of them. So can you talk about that for a minute? Like, why is that important, especially for women in leadership roles and, and moving more and more into leadership roles to kind of get back to those roots of that that childhood wonder? Yeah, I think that gee, you did your homework well. Um, really super impressed. I haven't even thought about that that video for a little while. Um, but I, I think that what it really says is that when you first start out in life, everything's a wonder, and you've got all this wonderful you know world of curiosity around you. And 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 I think curiosity is probably one of the great life skills. You know, it is a great skill in life. Um, and then as you progress through school, and then you get into work, that curiosity goes a little bit in the other direction, and you start to fit into the mold of what people consider to be a good manager or a good leader. And then the work life takes over even more and people start to have to get stuck into their admin and stuck into their reports. And they move further and further away from engaging, from actually interacting with everybody else and, you know, with their teams more importantly. So, so hold that thought for a second. Then you've got um, we women who oftentimes don't want to put necessarily put their hands up. And I think one of the things that, that uh, a lot of the, the and it's funny, you know, I, I look at some of the next gen um, women and you've got a real split. You've got some of the, the girls who will absolutely be in their space and you, you know, they, they walk into a room and you know they're there and they have presence. And that's what you, you know, what you really want to see in a leader for the most part. That's what people, th you know, think you want to see in a leader. And then you've got the other, other girls who are quiet, um, they're more considered, they're more thinking about what it is that they, you know, uh, should talk about, or is this the right thing to talk about? And they're more reluctant to put their hands up. And they're the guys who walk into the room and quietly take a seat, when really, there's nothing wrong with either of those, except for one thing, you know, both of those are, are appropriate, if you like, except there's one thing that you really want to make sure both of them do, and that's put their hands up. You really want to make sure they step up and they and they put their hands up and they speak up. And then as other women or any manager, you want to make sure that you allow them to have a voice. And so a lot of the times I think it's kind of, we all need to get a little bit more kitchen table leadership about us. You know, we need to, if you think back to family time, and I know a lot of a lot of the old kind of, you know, sitting at the, the dinner table and having a chat isn't necessarily the way 
way the world works anymore. But when I was a kid and, and you know, you got together at dinner, um, you're sat around the table and you just talked and mum and dad had a point of view and the kids had a point of view. And, you know, if, if you said something you were struggling with, dad would be the one who wanted to solve it. Mum might be the one who's who's got the empathy. But everyone put, put their cards on the table and it's a real kitchen table kind of connection and really in business and at work and when you're talking about engaging employees don't you really want to have that kind of feel you know don't you want to have that lunchroom let's call it a lunchroom table conversation where you get to hear what's going on and I think that's where women you know women need to take a lot more of that kitchen table I think kind of leadership because we are the we are the ones who can easily sit around a table and have a conversation about something um, and then start to put our hands up and and want to show that yes I'm going to step up and I'm going to step into that role so I'm not sure if that's if you know as my memory kicks in I'm not sure if that was what that talked about but that's kind of where I'm I'm thinking today yeah no that was great I mean and it's true and you know my longtime listeners can already tell what's getting ready to come next but I agree with you because I say it seems like just about every episode now it comes up but leadership is really just another relationship, right? Oh, God, that's a great, that's such a great, a great sentence to use because that's exactly what it is. It's a real, it's about having a connection with the people that, that you're working with. Um, and I think in the old days, you know, you were asked not to really uh, get to know people and to make sure that there was a little bit of a line between you and the team. I think those days are gone. I think that you've got to know each other. You've got to know each other's strengths and weaknesses. You need to know what's going on in somebody's life because, you know, they come to work and it's all that other stuff that also is there that they bring with them. And the more that you can connect, the more that you can have those kind of relationships where you are talking about what's going on, um, the the better off your business is going to be. So I think the the big disconnect um, with people when you start talking about relationships and and then work and then results and then um, productivity and then profitability is that people think they're two different things and that on the one side you have to have these soft leadership skills that may or may not have anything to do with results and there is a direct relationship there is it's two sides of the one coin um, you know if you if you are not having that relationship you probably don't have the kind of results and um, the business results that you're looking for so I think I think people have to remember it's people productivity and profitability and they all go together and there's no separation between those yeah again I love that because you know, that goes back to that burden of command piece. And like you said, knowing your team, knowing what's going on in their lives. And it's like, you know, if if you take the time to get to know people, you, you know those things that are going on in their personal life. They're going to confide in you with, say, you know, their spouse has cancer or something like that, right? Yeah. And it's okay to know those things. And it's okay to have those things affect you. So you can be an empathetic leader that that person wants to work for. Oh, exactly. And, you know, there's one catchphrase that I do use a lot now, and that's nothing moves until people move. And so if you can't move people, if you can't, it, it's almost, um, I was once asked, you know, what, who's the most important role in a company? Is it the CEO or is it somebody else? And so I'm sure the CEO needs to, um, needs to set the vision and, and make sure that everybody's aligned and, you know, we're all on the right bus and we're all headed in the right direction. But she or he can have the best vision in the world if you can't get it implemented, if you can't get people to move, if you can't engage them in that vision to actually get the results, then it's not worth anything. And so I, I, I almost want to say that the most important person in a business today is actually the frontline leader because they're the guys who every single day hold the results of the business in their hands and how they relate, how they engage, how they work with their teams is going to dictate whether that great strategy gets implemented and the results come from it or not. And so, you know, you read all these stats about transformation failures. Um, I read some of the big box consulting firms, they put out the research that's, that says they've talked to all these people and they've found that 70, 70, 75% of transformation programs fail. And, and I just think, oh, you know, it's, it's, it, it is heart wrenching because there's so much money and effort and time and 
people that are wrapped around these transformation you know strategies and they need and we need it i mean we do need to build back better but unless you can engage people the root cause i really believe the root cause of not achieving that transformation goal or those targets there can be a lot of symptoms of that root cause but the root cause is you're not able to engage people. You have not got a strong engagement plan. And that's from you know 35 years of, of working in consulting and seeing, not, not surveying, seeing boots on the ground, you know, thousands of these engagements across the world in 4,000 or 2,000 meters up in the Andes or the border of the Congo or in New York City or in Salt Lake City. You know, I'm, I've looked at these different companies and the guys who are successful have one common element and that's active frontline management who are in the game working with their teams leading them and connecting with them each and every day and I think that's the difference between success and not success when you're doing transformations or just when you need to get your daily numbers and and get your results in. Again I love exactly what you're saying here and I agree because it's, it's a quote I use often uh, by Colin Powell. And he says, leadership is solving problems. The day soldiers stop bringing you their problems, that's the day you've stopped leading them. They've either lost confidence that you can help or concluded that you do not care. Either case is a failure of leadership. And that's so true, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the, I think the only job of if you're in a if your job is to care for a team and help them achieve, you know, the results that you want to achieve. If that's your job, then really the or if that's your role, then really your only job is to make sure that you get all of the things that may get in the way of somebody really being able to be successful out of the way. So at the end of the day, you're the guy who needs to come in and, as you say, solve the problems, remove the barriers, talk to people, know what's going on, not so that you can micromanage them, but so that you can truly just check in with them and say, okay, what are we, what are we, what are we up to today? And, you know, what's coming at us and, and what do we need to solve? Um, and, and I think it's all those, you know, those things that happen in business day to day that if you don't know about them, if you're t- not close enough to your team to know that, that there is that one thing in this process that's going to stop every single day, that's going to stop that person from really feeling good about their job because they have to deal with this same problem day in and day out, then boy, are you going to disengage them. Um, but, but we're still, you yourself are not in a position where you're really doing your job, which is let's, you know, let's figure out what's going wrong and let's really fix those problems so that people can come to work and be successful. Yeah, no, I I like that. And, uh, you know, kind of looking back at at the book here, we've kind of inadvertently uh, been talking about chapter one, people matter, we need a healthier way of working. So is there anything that you'd like to add kind of about that chapter that we haven't already touched on? Yeah, I think that, um, I think that, management a lot of the times people look at management and say and i'm doing it here i'm saying really there's a lot that managers have to do and it almost sounds like the manager is the problem and so you end up feeling like uh, we're, it's a it's a conversation about management culpability and i think what what we really need to do is actually take the culpability out of it and say it's about it's about capacity or capability um, a lot of the times and i i think that the managers you know all of us i i think about how many times i get up in the morning and nobody says oh boy you know, what I really want to do today is is be miserable and make sure that all of my employees are feeling disengaged and miserable. Nobody does that. You know, they don't say I want 70% of my workforce to be um, under-engaged, disengaged or, or disgruntled. What they do do is get out of bed and say, oh, my goodness, you know, there are 75,000 things that are coming at me. I've got all these, all these um, you know, problems and issues and people and stuff that I've got to do. And then I've got to figure out how to also engage. And so I think what we have to do is really help help managers and leaders at every level understand that actually the main job is to really get that engagement going, which means talking to your people and being in the game so that you can perhaps fix some of those things that are not 
the way that you want them to be, all those things that are coming at you. But I think we have to really empathize with managers today because particularly coming out of the pandemic, there is a lot coming at you and there is a huge amount of, of stress and you know all new things that people have to deal with as well as all the, the, the usual stuff that you have to deal with about covering people who, who are sick and can't come in or you know whatever that next crisis is. And we tend to, you know, you know, everybody tends to to kind of point the finger and say, oh, geez, management isn't doing their job. I think they're doing their job. I think that what we have to do is help them build the capacity, free them up to be able to spend time with their people and build the capability and give them some really pragmatic solutions to be able to do that. Yeah, no, and that's a great point. I mean, I think I like what you said there, because I think that is something that that a lot of these disengaged teams forget is that manager is dealing with their own things as well. And that, that responsibility to know, care and empathize, it's really a 360 degree responsibility, right? Yeah. And I think we do forget that. I think that, you know, everyone does get so absorbed in, in their own world um, that sometimes they forget that there, there's a whole other world out there that someone else is dealing with as well. And below the surface, you know, you, you just don't know that. Um, and so, yeah, I think that we have to spend, you know, again, I, I kind of go back to what does success look like? And it's getting people to understand that being active and in the business um, is a, is is the right thing to do, but it's also the right thing to do for, for the reason of running a great business. And guess what? The double bonus on that is that your people are going to feel a lot better about it as well, because you're also putting yourself in a position where it's routine. You've got that rhythm that you're able to connect with people regularly, that they're not feeling like you're just showing up once in a while and telling them they have to do something. I think that's also why a lot of the times, um, you know, you look at, at, at uh, managers who are trying to get new ways of working in place and and if you look at the pandemic it, 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 we're all talking about the fact that 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 workforce that was apparently uh, resistant to change clearly wasn't. Everybody, you know, got up and went home and they all figured out how to work from home. So what you had really was a workforce that was never really resistant. It just, it, we just didn't engage them the right way and we didn't give them the right tools and the, and the right ways to rapidly get on board with something that, that we want people to do. And I think that if there's one lesson learned out of the pandemic, it really is that it's, it's make sure that you connect enough with people that they understand how to participate, how to do something different from what they were doing yesterday um, and the reasons why you have to do it. And if you're connecting routinely and regularly with people, you're absolutely able to earn the right to have those discussions. You can go to them and say, hey, you know, we need to start doing business in a different way and here's why. Um, and it's not just the big boss coming down to the team for, you know, for a few minutes. It's the person I know as my boss. I respect them because they work with me regularly and they get stuff done when there's issues you know they're the guys who help me solve it if it's if it's out of my control they're the guys who go and and make sure that things happen um, so I think you as a as a leader today you really it's it's a double-edged um, kind of approach to it you've got to earn the right with your people um, but you're right there has to also be you've got to educate your people how to work in that environment as well if you're going to be an active manager then you want to make sure that you're your team understands how to work with you as an active manager. Well, and I like that because that's a great segue into chapter three, which is kind of the title chapter, manage to engage building street cred. So how does a leader go about building that credibility to be able to engage and have those conversations uh, with their staff? I think it's, um, it is about demonstrating that you're that you're there, um, that you're in the game. And the more that you can do that, the more you get to to earn that that street cred. Um, and there's lots of different tools that you can do it. You know, if I get into a couple of the real pragmatic um, solutions that 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 you can demonstrate as a leader, as a manager, to be able to to really um, put managing to engage to work. One of them is that routine check in. Um, and there's probably two things that 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 I would say today you could you could go away and do this without having to um, without having to go do a, a big hefty training program or anything, just put it in place immediately. And one of them is something called 1530. And that 
gives you the rhythm to your job to be able to earn the right to chat with people regularly and find out what's going on in the world, um, to be able to talk to people and say, okay, we plan to get this done. We actually got this done. Um, what we missed, let's talk about why and let's figure out what the problem, what the solutions are to the, the things that stopped us from achieving. So if you, if you practice something called 1530, that gives you the ability to, to have those conversations. One is check in once a day. Don't check up. Just check in, you know, earn the right to be routinely saying hi to your guys, ask them how they're doing, ask them how they're feeling, um, you know, about work or about home or whatever it is, um, and ask them how, how their day is going. And that's just a quick, you know, it can be a minute, it can be 15 minutes, but it's just check in once a day. And then once a week, five, check in once a week, but have a really good conversation about how the job went that week. What were the things that happened that maybe were brilliant that you can say, hey, great job. And what were the things that happened that maybe weren't so brilliant that you can say, okay, I need to make a note of that. I've got to go away and fix that for you. Or, well, actually, this is something you could have done. So, you know, let me let me coach you on how you, you could have solved that problem. And so that's your five. And then 30 is once a month have a conversation that's longer. I mean, a five, maybe 30 minutes, a 30, you want to have a conversation. Maybe it's going to be an hour and you talk about about development. You talk about the hopes and, and dreams of that person in their job, about their overall goals for, the, for development and, and their career. And that if you've got that routine, that means you're checking in once a day, just briefly. Some days it might be longer. Some days it might just be a high. Everything's fine. Yep. Great. You know, get on with it. Um, once a week where you can really identify what's preventing people from being brilliant in their job, whether it's around engagement, you know, whether it's the people, the productivity or the, the profitability side. Um, and then once a month, you're, you're talking about, about them, about their development. The beauty of that is that it's a multiplier. You get to hit so many, you know, stones, if you like, with the one bird. You're going to be able to hit engagement because you're having that connection with people. You're talking about the stuff that, that they're doing great or the stuff that cheeses them off. Um, you're also going to talk, if you can fix some of those problems that prevent people from being successful, you're probably going to fix your productivity problem because most of the time those issues are costing you productivity. And of course, that costs you ultimately in profitability. So you really, you've got a real multiplier by doing those, by doing 1530, you're really addressing engagement and, and productivity, the, the two things that you as, as the boss really hold absolutely, you know, in your hands. And then I, I said that I would look at, I would say two pragmatic solutions. So that's one, you can, anyone can start practicing that today. Um, and the other one I'd, I'd suggest is, have a look at how you how you currently spend your time and color code it put a code to it and say to yourself okay if a crisis happens that's red you know if i spend time with my team and i'm and i'm chatting with them and i'm connecting maybe that's green you pick the colors that work for you um, and then there's time that you spend on admin or in meetings or training or um, that takes you away from uh, connecting with people so you know come up with your categories but if you do that before you start actually writing down what you did, have a think about how you think you spent your day and what color it is. And maybe someone's going to say it's probably 50% green and 50% red or something like that. Um, and then go away at the end of the day, sit back, reflect, and then color code what you actually did. And generally what we will find is, and when I say we are the, the, you know, the company I lead, Proudfoot, when we go and work with, with clients, generally what we'll see is that people's days have a huge amount of either admin or troubleshooting. They've either gone into crisis mode or they're spending a great deal of their time in reporting in their devices, in their you know, uh, laptops, in their office. Um, and, you know, perhaps now it's a little bit more on the meeting side. We do find that with, with Zoom, um, everybody's kind of on Zoom all day. 
you want to make sure that if you're spending your time on Zoom all day, that it turns it green, that it's not spending it in the red zone or in the, the or in an admin yellow type zone. But go through and take the time to color your day and then set your own personal action plan and say, right, OK, I don't have enough green. If your day came out with not enough green, then you want to say to yourself, I'm going to set myself a target and I'm going to put a, a much higher proportion of my day is going to be green. I mean, that is such a great system. I, I love that. And, you know, I hate to keep quoting these uh, these old generals, but it reminded me of uh, there was an army, retired army general, Hal Moore. He said at the end of the day, he would ask himself two questions. What is the things, I guess I should say, what are the things that I did today that I shouldn't have done? And what are the things that I didn't do today that I should have done? Yep. And, and that is a great uh, kind of filter, too, to go along with these these colors, right? Because you, you can sit there and say, you know, I should have spent more time building those relationships or I shouldn't have spent so much time, like you said, uh, fiddling around on my device or doing these things. So, so yeah, I love that. That's great. That's great. And, great. I, and I bet you if they thought about it, they could have easily color-coded their days with exactly the same thing. But I, I love that you quote the generals because I, you know, a little catch, a catch, another little catchphrase of mine is lead generously. And, you know, if you think about that concept of the generals who are doing their stuff, but really a lot of them were, were leading generously. Um, and, I, you know, it's a, a, a small, tiny change of the word, but... Um, it's, it's an important one because then you earn your leadership license to operate. You know, it's it's in in mining oftentimes, we do a lot of work with, with mines and um, do a lot of work with different industries, but um, I particularly enjoy mining just because it's it's just such an, un, uh, you know, it's a it's an exciting and, and you're, you're going to these different parts of the world and, and there's always a hugely diverse workforce. So you've got expatriate management from all over the world. You've got the local workforce um, who are, are, you know, perhaps it is um, Ghana or it's, as I was saying earlier, you know, it's, it's a couple of thousand metres up in the Andes or it's in, in um, Canada up north, you know. So you've got all this diverse workforce. But the one thing that they have absolutely in common is they're all looking for a licence to operate. And that's because they're sitting in communities where the community counts and the community wants to make sure that you're not doing any damage to their community. So they need a, a, a community, um, you know, a license to operate. They have to earn that. And and where I think the small change of that for, for leadership is you want to earn your leadership license to operate. And the way to do that is to engage. It's no different than when my, in the mining community when they're earning their, their license to operate in the community and not causing damage. Isn't it the same with leadership? You want to be able to say, I've earned my leadership license to operate and I'm not causing damage. You know, I'm I, there's no collateral damage in my day because I'm spending it the right way and I'm connecting with my people and I'm aiming, I'm really wanting to manage to engage. And and I do think at the same time, it's hard. Um, you know, none of us have cracked the nut on that. Every, you know, every, every day you've got things where you do get home and say to yourself, oh, geez, you know, I, I really should have done a better job of that conversation. Or I'm sure that um, that particular guy, you know, he didn't get home that day feeling great about what happened. And so, if you've got that mindset of that leadership license to operate and you're thinking about leading generously and you're really focused on managing to engage, you're going to continuously try to up your game. You're going to look for ways to up your game. And, and isn't that really what you're after? Nobody's perfect, but we all have to figure out how to get better and better and better at what we're doing when it comes to being in a management position or, or as a leader. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Again, you, you talk about that difference between management and leadership, and that's usually, you know, how I describe it is, you know, Pamela Hackett, CEO, you can make somebody a manager. You have that power. Only the people who choose to follow somebody can make that person a leader. And and I think that's the big difference, right, is, is management can be designated. Leadership has to be earned, like what you're talking about. 
Yeah, and that's tough, you know, particularly um, today. It's, again, people have so much coming at them. Um, They've got to be able to meet their numbers and then they've got to balance the people side and they've got to, you know, worry about the competition and the the community and everything coming together. It's tough. And so it's something that you really do have to think about today. You can't, you really can't just, you know, blow through your day and say, oh, gee, you know, it is what it is. No, you've got to actually reflect and say, what did I do right and wrong? How did I spend my time? And I think it is that concept of uh, try to, you know, if you can, if you're particularly if you're a next gen leader, you know, you want to think to yourself, engage, enable, energize. I, I need to connect with people. I need to make sure they're they're able to do their job, enable them to do their job, and I've got to energize them. And so what are the different things, you know, what are the buttons that I can press to make that happen? Um, and I think one of those is the, the really simple thing that I that um, that I talk a lot about now is is to go heads up. Um, again, super simple philosophy. Um, where if you are heads up, it means that you do prioritize people. You take your nose out of your technology or your or your reporting and your admin, or you you lift your your um, you know bum out of your chair and out of your office, and you get active and you connect, and that's about going heads up. And when you do that, our, you know we've done gosh about fifty thousand engagements across the world, um, and that's as a, a consulting firm, Proudfoot. And what we found is the more active the management, you know, you do get better results, but also the more safe the the workplace, you know, your accident level goes down because people do have their heads up. They've got a heads up site where, you know, people naturally are are in the game and they're taking note of what's happening around them. And I think it's all that kind of these little things that if you can inject these small things into your day, you're going to make a big difference. And I, and again, I think that's where people get confused between, they think that, that there's all these, either they think that there's policies and perks and ping pong tables that are going to um, engage people, or they think it's very difficult. Um, I've got to, you know, um, learn these very intricate things that I must do. Well, yes, you know, there is a a whole host of of training and learning and development uh, that will help you as a leader. But if you don't have access to that, at least get these minimum simple things in place that will make a big difference to people's days. What you do by day goes home with your people by night. And if you can really impact that, uh, you can make a difference. Boy, that was a long answer. I'm sorry about that. Uh, don't be sorry, because that was amazing. Uh, and I've, I've really got nothing to add to that because it was so great. Uh, I just want to remind listeners that we're talking with Pamela Hackett, CEO of Proudfoot and author of Manage to Engage. Uh, we're talking about the book Manage to Engage a lot here, uh, but we haven't really even scratched the surface on it yet. So you can see why I highly encourage you all to go buy a copy of this book and have it on your bookshelf because this information that Pamela is sharing with us is extremely valuable. And I think this is another one of those books that you should have within arm's reach so you can like flip to it and and say, what did Pamela say about this? Because there's a lot of great info. And on that note, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here because chapter seven, I love this title, Out Your Doubt, and boost confidence. What does that mean and why is it important? Oh, you know, I, I, I love that one too. I love it because I think that um, there's, isn't there two, two ways to look at confidence, right? If you look at people, um, there are those guys who are super confident um, and they're the ones who will, will get up and just, you know, they'll do anything, they'll try anything um, and they'll do it with gusto. And then if you look at the guys who lack confidence um, and you think about yourself when you've been in a position where confidence hasn't, you know, it hasn't had your back, you haven't been able to muster up that confidence. It's really tough to perform. So the way that, that I look at confidence is twofold. It's confidence yourself and how, how you bring confidence to your job. But as a leader and as a manager, it's about how you instill confidence in others. And, and that confidence in others is the way that they look at the business, the people around them, um, and the things that, uh, that you're doing as a company. And is it, is it giving people confidence? You know, one of the, we, we do 
do survey. Often we did surveys um, at the beginning of a, a program because our um, our clients would be interested to to know the perceptions of people. What what's their um, what are, what's their attitude and what are they thinking toward um, the business? And one of the questions was always around that that gave you the answer around confidence in leadership. You know, how confident are you in the leaders? And it would be, again, it would be heart-wrenching for some of these leadership teams because the answer to that question would sometimes be, well, not very. Um, I don't think they're the guys who can get us through the next, you know, the next pandemic, for example. Um, and and then you would dig down and you'd get into the, the real nuts and bolts of why. And it's, again, it's because communication not clear. Um, you know, lots of um, lots of voids in, and people will fill the gap all the time. If you if you're not communicating clearly, people will just fill in that gap. You, you know, we all know that. And so, it, it's it's looking at leadership and saying there is a whole bunch of things that you need to do to instill confidence. And it's not that you need to get out there and tell people how how great you are. It's that you need to get out there and give people the right information. You've got to make sure that they have the right information at the right time, at the right place, so they can do their jobs the right way. You've got to give them transparency about what's going on with the business. We, you know, we saw that in the pandemic. It was the most, the businesses that have done well are the ones that overly communicated. They did weekly town halls and said, this is what's happening. This is what we're doing about it. And at the end of the day, isn't that what people want to know? They want to know what's going to happen next. It's a bit like when you, you know, if you phone the complaint complaint line in a uh, business and what you really want them to hear, what you really want them to say to you and what you want to hear is, we can fix that. Just give us a little bit of time to get some more information, but we'll fix that. And it's the ones who say, oh, no, you know, we, we don't understand your problem or or we don't have the answer to that that um, question right now. That's when you lose confidence in the business. So there's so many different ways to look at confidence, but that's just a, a little bit of a, a kind of down one road of, of a way to look at it. And it is about what you're doing, your behaviours and how you're instilling confidence in the business so that people can have then confidence in you. And you really do want to that doubt. Um, if you can't do that, people will continue to doubt that the business is headed in the right direction. Well, and I think that's exactly it because, you know, a lot of times, as you said, uh, leaders feel that because they are in the leadership position, they have to have all the answers. They have to know everything. And if they admit that they have doubt, that's going to make them look weak in front of their staff. And it's quite the opposite because we know as human beings that nobody has all the answers. Nobody knows everything. And if you're putting on this facade that you do, we don't trust you, which undermines the confidence anyway. So it's better to be open, transparent, and honest and let people know when you do know, but also let people know when you don't know so they know that you're being real and authentic with them. And that means that they can trust you more, right? Exactly, exactly. And in fact, um, I love one of the, I hope that I'm not misquoting who said this, but I heard it recently, um, a great quote. I think it was it was from Adam Grant. I'm actually looking in my office. I think it was Adam Grant, yeah, who said that oftentimes um, confidence outstrips capability. And when you do that, that's when you end up coming across as arrogant. Um, and that's the same kind of philosophy. You know, it's, it's if you're, it, you can really come off giving the wrong impression very easily um, when you're pretending that you've got all the answers. The other thing I think that that sometimes uh, managers, particularly managers who are not comfortable or confident enough to ask to have things happen because they need it to happen. Instead, what they do is they enact something that, that I always call the flying monkey. Um, it, it's a bit, I think it's from the Wizard of Oz, you know, um, who was it? Um, I have flying, you know, I have flying monkeys and I'm not afraid to use them. And sometimes our managers do that and they do it and inadvertently what they end up doing actually is cheesing people off because they do the following. They say, I need you to, no, they don't say I need you to do it. They say you need to do something because someone over there wants it. My boss wants it. My board wants it. My, um, the, the guy down the hall wants it. You know, somebody else wants it. And so can you, can you do that, please? When really 
They need to say, we need to do this and here are the reasons why and not use a fly, not throw a flying monkey, not try and um, almost blame it on somebody else as to why you want something done because that does exactly the same thing. All that does is continue to, to remove confidence in you. If you can't stand up and say, guys, we've got to do this. The reason we've got to do it is because you know, X, Y, and Z over here, if we don't get it done, then that's going to be a problem. Um, and the problem might be this. And so what we really want to do is prevent it. And to do that, all of us need to do whatever it is. So, you know, I think sometimes we enact these flying monkeys by accident or inadvertently, or just because that's the, the nature of the way that, that we operate. And we've got to stop. We've really got to just take 100% accountability ourselves as managers and leaders and say, we need to do this because we need to do it because I need it done. And that's it. Oh, yeah. No, I agree with you on that. And, and you know, the other kind of flip side to that is, is when something's going on that maybe you don't agree with, don't come back and say, you know, hey, I don't want to do this either, but we have to because on high says so. That, that undermines the whole thing as well. I love that. Agree or disagree, but commit. Um, in fact, I've had great conversations with with some of the the leaders that I've worked with and managers that I've worked with over time who who will say, well, I you know I disagree with that. And so I think the thing that you have to learn there is you've got to again you've got to give people a voice. Um, you know, it's not a case of just telling them they've got to do it. You've you've got to just put all the cards on the table, explain why, and then if at the end of that conversation, if everybody's given their their cards and you've you've then got to draw a line, not everybody's going to win. And so. So now we're going to go down this route and agree or disagree, but commit needs to be the next step. A leader, a manager can't walk out of a meeting and say exactly what you just said, which is, I don't agree and I'm not committing, but we have to do this. Um, and it, all it does is strip away at your own. It, it, people are not going to look at you and think that you're a confident leader or that they should have confidence in you um, because you're, you're not committing to the team. And as a leadership team, the decision that's made, everyone needs to go with. I think I, you know, I sometimes use my own experience where at um, at the senior executive, as a senior executive who sits on a board, the board may decide something and and I haven't won and that's okay. I can't go away and say, actually, I disagree with it and we have to do this because I, I've lost all my, all my leadership by doing that. Um, so I think agree or disagree, but commit is really something that, that you, you've got to, got to live by. And then if you really don't, if you can't commit to it because it's a value statement or it's something that you can't live with, that's when you have to say to yourself, maybe I need to self-select and go somewhere else. You know, there's, there's always going to be that, or sometimes there will be that line that might get crossed that is, you can't live with it. But for the most part, it's, it's opinions. It's, we have different views, um, but we should be able to live with it and we should be able to commit and, and we should be mature enough to say it's okay to go with somebody else's view on this one. Yeah, no, 100%. And we talked about the pandemic and, and things that have changed. I think that's the one thing that uh, might be a bright spot on the other side of this is people recognize that last piece you talked about, about the, the self-select and that you have options. And if you're in an organization that doesn't really align with your deeply held beliefs, well, there is one out there or in this day and age you have the ability to start your own organization easier than it's ever been in the past before, right? Isn't that true? Yeah. And I and so that's the real crux of, of one of the major problems, I think, for, for leaders and managers today is there are a lot of people who are going to self-select and they're going to move on to something else unless we as leaders, we as managers can absolutely solve the engagement problem. Because if you don't solve that, it is a situation where I, I think one of the recent surveys I read, um, something like over 50 
50% of people were actually considering what's out there. What is there another job? The pandemic has caused people to think twice about where they spend the majority of their time and making sure, you know, thinking to themselves, I've got to make sure that I'm in a business that actually I love going to every day and I and I want to be a part of and it's not a drudge and a, you know, a, a drain on my energy um, when I spend my time there. So I think that one is a really important one. I think if the, you know, again, it's kind of a, one of those call to actions. If there was ever a time to make sure that you were going to get your engagement, you know, really going and you were, you're going to bring that to work every day. It's now because people will self-select and they'll move on to that more engaging firm um, and that place where they feel that they're, uh, uh, you know, where they feel that people are engaging with them much more appropriately. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Pamela, if you can believe it, we've been chatting here for a little over 45 minutes and the time has just flown. This has been a great conversation. Oh, for me too. I thank you very much for that. No, thank you very much. It, it's it's just been a blessing and I love what you've had to say. And again, listeners, we really only talked about three or four chapters here and there's 13. So you've got a lot of fruit left on this tree to pick. So go get a copy of this book, Manage to Engage. Uh, but Pamela, before we work to close out, Knowing that there's a lot of stuff left out there, I'm sure the answer is probably yes. Uh, but is there anything that we really didn't get a chance to cover that you really want to leave listeners with before we go? Oh, I think it's that that concept of, you know, the more you engage, the better the results. So if you if you really want to be a great manager today, um, if you want to be a great leader, then the first starting point is manage to engage, learn how to manage to engage and really address the engagement issue that's sitting out there, that big iceberg of engagement. And um, and once you've done, you know, when, once you really start focusing on that, you'll start to see the results will be there. It's people, productivity, profitability. You know, they all come together and it's a really important mix to have. Outstanding. So hopefully over the course of this conversation, as I've encouraged people to do, and I'm going to do it one more time right here, people are going out, they're buying a copy of the book, they're going out and they're checking out your YouTube videos, but they want more. They want to maybe reach out to you, reach out to Proudfoot uh, to take advantage of the services that you all offer. What is a good way for them to, to reach out to you? Yeah, so, I mean, proudfoot.com, that simple. Um, and in there you'll find our info at proudfoot.com. Um, PamelaHackett.com, um, absolutely reach out to me there. Pam at PamelaHackett.com is my email. Happy to take um, any questions or uh, comments or feedback if you've read the book. Um, and LinkedIn. So just, you know, just about all the normal places, right? <laughs> there you go. There you go. And again, definitely, folks, and I'm going to have links to all those, uh, but I do highly encourage you to go check out the YouTube videos because they're, they're some of the best YouTube videos I've run across doing these podcasts and doing my research. I like the stuff that you share. And uh, before we do the full-blown closeout thing here, I got to touch on one we talked about during the, the uh, pre-show workup here. You've got one where it talks about, I'd rather be a, a shot of whiskey than a cup of tea. So, so what's that all about? I, I'm smiling as you say that. I'd rather be someone's shot of whiskey than everyone's cup of tea. You know what it means is you can't please everybody and that's okay. Um, and it's okay to be a shot of whiskey and not everybody's cup of tea. Um, and I, I kind of live my life that way. You know, it, it, um, I just think it's a, a, brilliant, a brilliant phrase to, to live your life with. You, you can't please everybody. I love it. And that is so true. Well, Pamela, again, thank you very much for spending, you know, the last 50 minutes or so with myself and my listeners. I really appreciate it. And I very much appreciate it as well. Thanks, Earl. And thanks for letting me spread the word of engagement. Absolutely. And listeners, I really appreciate y'all spending the time with us. I know your time is just as valuable as ours is, but thank you for spending the last 50 minutes or so with Pamela and I. Uh, Keep doing all the great work that you're doing. You've been doing a great job of rating, reviewing, subscribing, sharing the show. So my great guests like Pamela can get their messages spread further and reach more people. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns for me, burden.command at gmail.com. Just drop those there. Um, and I really appreciate you all. And I look forward to speaking with you all again 
in the next episode. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric acid. Electric acid.